Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. If you're wondering what professional skiing, tarpon fishing, muskie, and a passion for exploring all things fly fishing have in common, well, Joseph Davies comes to mind. Well-traveled fly fishing guide, ambassador for Mondo Fly Fishing, and Ascent Fly Fishing. Thanks so much for coming on the program today, Joseph. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Maybe, I, I know you, you're all over the place. I want to know where you're at right now. <laughs> all right, so... Well, currently I'm talking to you from Minneapolis, but um, <laughs> I'm living in uh, kind of southeastern Wisconsin. Um, kind of moved back to spend some time with my father and really get to know a state in a way that I didn't get to know it as a child. Hmm. Um, as you may or may not know, um, I was a professional skier when I grew up, and you know, always kind of looked at Wisconsin in this, you know, oh, it's not the West. Um, you know, it's not where the big mountains are. It's not where the good skiing is. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to come back to Wisconsin and rediscover not only a lot of new species that I've never targeted on the fly, but really gain a new appreciation for the state that I was born in. That's awesome. So you, you basically hone your craft all over the world, but now you come back home to really dial it in? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the that's one way to look at it. I like that. Tell me a little bit about where you've been and what you've been up to. So what I kind of did after uh, February and March and a uh, bit of April um, was on the road and basically set out to put my feet in the all the rivers that I had kind of only heard about or seen on social media or read about in magazines. So I fished my way through Utah, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. <laughs> Jeez, that sounds like a tough job. Yeah, you know, um, and I roughed it. I slept, you know, in sub-zero conditions in a tent. Yeah, fished six days a week for that entire time. Yeah, and then kind of everything changed. How did everything change? Well, yeah, I got introduced to the saltwater game. And uh, kind of uh, Taylor Barlow, the owner of Mondo Fly Fishing, kind of had introduced it to me and kind of put some gears in motion for me that I was like, wow, there's something else other than trout. It just never really occurred to me and never occurred to me to go to the saltwater to do it. But I had kind of seen a few videos on the internet and I'm like, wow, this looks really cool. And uh, another company that I work with, Dupafish, had planned a trip down to Costa Rica um, to a place called Tarpenville, you know, with a name like that, I'm like, ah, you know, I think I know what we're going after. Really, before I could think of any reason to say no, I just said, yes, I'm going on the trip. That's almost always the right answer, isn't it, to any adventure? Yes? Mm. I, that's like a life ethos of mine. It's just 
say yes and do it. Kind of what I do is I've been really exploring Wisconsin and going to places where, you know, I don't know anything about this waterway. You know, I don't even know what species are in this waterway. I've been surprised several times, <laughs> um, but it's been a lot of fun exploring. But that does mean that you go out and get skunked. But to me, fly fishing's never been about catching fish. It's been about this kind of greater experience that you have when you're on the river. So, yeah, I've just really enjoyed my, my summer in Wisconsin. I'm just curious, Joseph, if you were to kind of draw analogies between, say, fishing for those giant muskies and fishing for those giant tarpon, is there some similarities there? Absolutely. I mean, they're both big. They're both scary. <laughs> they both, you know, the takes are ferocious. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, I definitely came back to Wisconsin and that was the goal was to put a muskie on the fly. Spent all my time at the vice spinning up muskie flies that I thought would work. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so, and that's been the biggest change I think with coming back to Wisconsin is that there's all these different species. It's not just the trout and trout and trout that, you know, people think of when they think of, you know, a river runs through it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, bass fishing. I got into carp fishing, which is so much fun. Um, You know, it's fishing for steelhead. Um, It's doing all these different things, which all require different skills and techniques that I'm learning the hard way. You know, those, those, you're talking about carp there, and, and obviously the AKA freshwater bonefish. I haven't had a lot of success on a fly personally, but I'll tell you, pound for pound, I don't know that there's a better fight in fish. I couldn't agree with you more. I um, went out with a guide named Luke down in uh, Madison area, and um, yeah, he kind of took me to a, a spot, and we, I think, brought 17 carp to the boat that day. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And, um, but it really does take a lot of skill. I've spent more time in the water targeting carp unsuccessfully, you know, um, you know, yeah, they are. And very spooky. They're social spookers. And I've found, and, um, but yeah, it's, they're, they're tricky. I've yeah, gotten skunked way more than I have had success. That's for sure. Social spookers. I never, I never, do bonefish fall into that category too? Uh, they do seem to. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with bonefish. We went down um, the fishery down in Tarpenville, really focuses um, pretty heavily on tarpon, obviously. And you get a lot of jacks and triggerfish and permit on the flats as well. But we didn't really get to target bonefish all that much. So, um, I caught one blind casting, but I'm not really sure that counts. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about tarpon fishing. Cause I'm, I'm, I know nothing about fly fishing for tarpon. I've obviously seen lots in magazines and on, you know, some television programs and, and YouTube and whatnot, but what, what all uh, does that entail? Like, how does a guy get started? Well, you know, obviously you're, you're going to have to be out with a guide. I mean, it's, it's not something that realistically you can just go out and do. Um, you know, you can fish for juvenile tarpon in the flats and, um, 
but when you're going after 150 pound plus tarpon, you know, you really kind of have to be with a guide and it involves fishing in shallower water usually. And, um, yeah, target fishing. And like I said, I was given an absolute education at Tarpenville because what I got to do was make a lot of mistakes. Right. Um, you know, because we were, we were jumping tarpon every day. And um, I think I was down there for about five and a half weeks and um, was just determined to kind of learn as much as I could and really try to put the pieces together, you know, whether it was tying EP fiber flies for the first time or, you know, learning how to double haul. I mean, when I showed up there, I mean, I was a trout guy. I had never double hauled before. I didn't need to. I could cast across most rivers that I fished. Um, so, it, I mean, it was just a, a totally different set of skills that with the help of some pretty cool people, I was able to, uh, yeah, to kind of put the whole whole package together. It always amazes me when I when I see people either fishing for tarpon or in you know in that type of water. You're in a beautiful environment to begin with. You're basically at the beach, aren't you? Uh, oh yeah, pretty much. You know, which is a pretty nice place to be. Let's face it; these these tarpon are in in beautiful places in the world. But are you are you actively hunting? Are you are you sight casting? What's the uh, process? So down down in Manzanillo, we had showed up, and luckily for me, we were blind casting at first because the seas were so high, we were just going to the edges of murky water and casting into there. So I was able to kind of refine my double haul before we got to the point that we were sight casting, you know, kind of seeing rolling tarpon and trying to put a fly out in front of them. And what was I think really helpful was the season guides that Tarpenville had that were able to tell you, you know, like this is the type of strip you need, you know, this is what you need to be prepared for. Um, but I made every mistake in the book. But like I said, we were, I was so I learned so much from each one, you know. And um, Mark Martin, who owns the lodge, in fact, came out with me a bunch of days. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to fight big fish, you know, because I had landed a few tarpon at that point. And he had, he's like, I'm going to show you kind of how it's done. And, you know, Mark instantly hooks up and brought a 90 pound tarpon to the boat in about 19 minutes. Wow. So, I mean, it was pretty impressive. And then I, you know, he was like, your turn. And I'm like, God, it's that easy, huh? And um, blew a couple shots, but ended up hooking into a 100-pound tarpon that we got to the boat in about 35 minutes. With the right coaching, I think tarpon fishing is really accessible to the masses, the people that want to go down and do it for the first time. But you know, there's no doubt that that tarpon shake is real. I mean, you see that fish roll and you start to cast. You're you're doing it from a, a very unstable position, let's say. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that adrenaline rush on that first fish. Uh, well, <laughs> on my first fish, I uh, absolutely blew the cast. So I was, yeah, shaking at the knees and just got super quick and dumped the cast and 
Um, it, it, it is. I mean, it's like all of a sudden you have battery acid running through your veins and you start to shake and it's so big and you think about the possibility of what's it, what am I going to do next if I do hook up with it? Like, how am I going to clear this line? And um, yeah, it's it, and it does. It, it became at the at the end of my stay down in Tarpenville that I became really calm when I saw a rolling tarpon, mm. you know, because I knew what I, I think the game is more psychological mm. necessarily than it is just this physical skill of trying to put, you know, having the ability to haul line out 60 feet and put it on a dinner plate. Yeah. I there's, think there's, I think the mental part of fly fishing is very underrated and I would imagine it's even more underrated and, 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 maybe not thought about as much when you deal with fish that size. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, I, I, you know, look, I, I think I was just down in the driftless area of Wisconsin casting a small little rising fish, and it was the same thing. You get nervous and got to turn that into a level of focus that calms you down. So, yeah, I think it's whether it's big fish or little fish, yeah, I think certainly the big ones might excite people more that haven't seen them. But I think once you see a few, they they become the same thing. Joseph, I'm curious if your time as a as a professional skier helps with any of this. I think absolutely. Um, I studied sports psychology at university, and um, yeah, I think that I I use a lot of the skills that I. I learned about in school and apply them to, to fly fishing, you know, whether it's patience or, you know, whether fishing a small stream and you're in the tree for the 10th time because it's just impossible to cast. Um, but I, I like those challenges, you know, I think that they bring, um, a certain level of focus out of me instead of anxiety. So I think that's one of the things that really brought me to fly fishing, you know, was the psychological aspect of it, whether it was withstanding cold for a long period of time or knowing that there's fish in a hole and figuring out how do you solve this problem. I think I get on the river or on a lake and it's like, yeah, you know, you're, 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 your gears are just spinning and spinning and constantly thinking about all the scenarios in front of you and you can't think about anything else becomes very zen-like i think yeah absolutely i'm just i'm just picturing here i'm thinking okay you're in the in this tent in the rocky mountains maybe in fall there's that cold factor coming Ah, i've been here before it's not a big deal (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely a different game in the middle of winter because, A, you've got a lot less light, so you, you've got to be ready to fish at first light and back to your tent and eaten by the time the sun goes down. But, yeah, that was a really interesting trip. Yeah, just was really, really wild. It's pretty you know, cool that you, think... you had the, the gumption to just do that because I think there's a lot of... A lot of fly fishers, fly, fly fishers in general, think about these epic rivers you hear about, you read about. Why not go, right? You know, I think that really was my line of logic. Like, I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. You know, like, do I want to go to the Madison? It's going to take eight hours to get there, but the answer is yes. You know, and I 
show up at suboptimal times when it's absolutely freezing and the fish are down and I, you, you, you get skunked for a day or two and freeze, you know, overnight. Um, but yeah, it was just a matter of going, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. That's awesome. So Mondo fly fishing, tell me a little bit about Mondo fly fishing. Yeah. So Mondo fly fishing, um, they're an, a really cool company that is kind of changing, doing their part to change the kind of direction that fly fishing has been going in for so many years. You know, I think that in the seventies there was like lefty really wanted to change it from this casting up, casting dries upstream on the chalk streams of great Britain. And that's what fly fishing was. You know, he wanted to change it and target different species and really understand technique. And I think Mondo wants to do the same thing, that there's a certain old guard of fly fishing where the 20-somethings that really could get into the sport and love it and promote it and help it grow Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I think they're just appealing to that market. And I think that they're also appealing to the market of like, look, you know, Taylor has guided for, you know, I think 12 years now and, uh, you know, he's touched every rod on the planet and, you know, he built a utility five weight and it's something that can throw dries. It can throw streamers. It nymphs super well. I mean, it kind of does it all and a really high quality reel and he puts it together in a package that you you can buy everything individually but it's at a lower price point you know Mm -hmm. you're not spending a thousand dollars on a rod that as for 90 percent of the fishermen they can't tell the difference between you know what's Um, cool about that joseph and and just just my take on it here you're kind of opening up fly fishing to the masses, right? So, I mean, I look at guys like yourself. You got the surfers and the skiers and the fly fishing guides. All of a sudden, it's kind yeah. of a, it's a cool place to be, which I think fly fishing didn't really have that for a lot of years. I agree. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm going to, I did hear a couple of people, you know, talk about social media and what social media has done for the sport of fly fishing. But I think in a lot of ways, if you look at, certain areas of social media, I think particularly Instagram, I think as long as you're using it correctly and not hotspotting, what you're doing is really spreading this community of fly fishing. I mean, one of the really cool things that happened to me while I was out on the road over course of a couple months was I would post on Instagram that, Hey, I'm in this city. Is there anybody that wants to fish? And I'd get a couple messages of people that would be like, Hey man, I'd love to meet up. This would be super cool. Like, and that's, you know, they're not, I didn't ask like, Hey, can anyone tell me their secret spot? Right. But like when you meet up with people, they're more likely to take you to their good holes. Where are you to secrecy? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is the keeper of secrets at the moment because uh, 
Yes, I've mislabeled most of my Instagram posts. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you, though. I think it, for me, Instagram is a huge tool. Like honestly, that's 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 how I got your number. Yeah, and look, and I think that's one of the cool things that Mondo's done is that they've created a really unique Instagram profile, and they market on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's where they're turning their group of ambassadors like myself, they're turning, it, it's a new method of marketing. You know, they don't have to pay X amount of thousands of dollars to be in the fly fishing journal. They can reach the audience that they're targeting on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that albeit I understand the concerns that a lot of people have about social media and fly fishing. Um, I also think that it promotes conservation. I think it promotes proper fish handling, for example. Yeah. I, I just see more benefit in it than I do detriment. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's the same with any any cutting edge media, any social media that comes up. Yeah, there's always going to be the naysayers and some sites that are maybe not run very well. But the ones that are run well, I think can be used for the good of, of the sport. Absolutely. And I think conservation is one of the biggest ones because whether it's the Tarpon and Bonefish Trust or Trout Unlimited, they're going to gain exposure to people that maybe are the 20-somethings and felt like they never could fit in at a Trout Unlimited meeting, yep. you know? And I think, too, it allows like organizations like Pig Farm, which are doing all sorts of great things, to grow pretty organically via social media yeah it, it, they're, they're a great tool for sure so hey i want to ask you this and this is kind of a uh, just a bigger picture view of fly fishing because you seem like you really got a handle on it what in your mind if you could change anything in the sport what what would you change i think i changed the perception around it that it's this sport for kind of I, I, for lack of a better word, wealthy white men, mm -hmm. you know, like I'd love to see that like women are getting involved and absolutely killing it. And that like young guys are getting involved and young girls are getting involved at super young ages. Like you don't have to go on Instagram for more than 10 minutes to see that there's like super young kids entering the sport and keeping it alive. Yeah. You know, because I think for a long time, fly fishing was on a bit of a downward trend. And I hope that companies like Mondo are, you know, really going to change that. Yeah, totally agree. And I think, I think, you know, ideals are changing, right? I mean, like the way, the way I see it now, when, when I started fly fishing, and I'm, I'm almost 50. So back, you know, there wasn't any resources. You'd have to maybe go to a local club and just kind of um, some of the old timers would maybe show you a few fly patterns, how to tie. Now it's like I can find anything I want within, you know, two minutes online, basically either through YouTube or, or like you said, Instagram, Facebook, any of those social media sites. And I can actually get some, talk to some people that actually know, you know, the, the experts in the field. I think you're totally right, you know, and I'm completely self-taught as a fly fisherman and as a fly tire. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I taught myself off of YouTube. After like six days of getting skunked, I learned how to tie a better nymph break. 
you know, on YouTube and was, I met up with people from Instagram that, you know, followed my account or something like that, that ended up being mentors. And then I started becoming an ambassador for companies and really meeting some people that have affected my fly fishing, like Taylor Barlow and like Peter Stitcher from Ascent Fly Fishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he's another one of those guys that's really trying to turn the fly fishing world on his head. And he's, uh, he like publicly puts out his cell phone number and says, if you have a question about like what hatch is going on on which river, give me a call and I'll tell you. I mean, he's a biologist and runs this unbelievable company called Ascent Fly Fishing, the fly fishing rendezvous in Denver. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just, it's cool to see in my mind change happening in the industry and change that's happening to promote the sport for a greater audience. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. Hey, when did you start uh, tying flies? Is that uh, something you started as, as a young kid or? No. So I actually started fly fishing a little bit later in life and got into fly tying probably three years ago when I really wanted to start to put the whole package together, you know, like you, you become obsessed with the fishing aspect of it for so long. And then you're going like, I want to complete the circle Mm -hmm. and put a fish on to something, a a hook that I tied feathers onto. I like the way you put that complete the circle. It, it, it really does do that. Yeah. Um, the, Honestly, I think the favorite picture that I've ever taken was of a fish that I caught on a fly I tied, and it was the first time. And I couldn't have been more happy because I was like, wow, kind of completed the circle. I picked out this fly. I tied it. I decided to fish it in this way on this day to this spot, and it worked out. So did and you ever feel like, me, did you ever feel like, okay, so here comes another obsession? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. And uh, the, I don't even want to know like the cost of what I've spent on fly tying materials, but uh, particularly with musky flies. Uh, now that I uh, have that uh, musky obsession, tying these triple articulated 10 inch long musky flies mm-hmm. is uh, absolutely addicting. So are these flies that you're tying, are these available? Can the public buy these anywhere off website or from you personally? Um, No, I haven't really looked into that yet. I've tied a few of my own patterns, but I'm still kind of testing a few of them. So it's nothing that I've made available, but uh, somebody wanted some of my flies that I've posted up on, on Instagram and yeah, or wants me to tie flies, I'm happy to. Like Spawn Flyfish, for example. They, I heard a podcast of Josh talking about how, you know, fish really key in on the head of, um, when you're streamer fishing, really key in on the head of the fly. And essentially, the more realistic you can make that head look, the greater chance you have of a fish being attracted to it and wanting to T-bone it. Um, so, and he had also said, you know, talked about in theory that that's why so many of your streamer hookups are on the front hook. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I was thinking about my streamer experience and I'm going, wow, that's 
really what I have been experiencing. So I reached out to Josh and yeah, now help those guys out. Well, when was the last time you saw a fish get taken tail first? I mean, they always take them head first, right? It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Exactly. I, I, I just feel like most of the time, if I hook up on the back hook, it was my fault or just a, a take that, yeah, I got lucky on. Or maybe he turned on it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It just That just started me thinking. This is something I don't really think of a lot when I'm tying. Is uh, They're probably looking, well, maybe not so much on insects, but definitely on bait fish patterns at the head first. Yeah, and really I think I tie a lot with you know, spawn fly fish head for that reason, um, is that it finishes the fly to me. You know, like I'm creating a profile, I'm creating a type of movement that I want in my streamer patterns, and then it's finished with this very realistic looking head. And to me, that's kind of the, I don't know, almost scientific cap off to a good fly in my mind. Absolutely. So if you if you were out uh, fishing your favorite waters in say Wisconsin, what's your what's a go to pattern for you right now? Oh, I've got to say Kelly Gallup Sex Dungeon is really <laughs> okay, well, hold on <laughs> no I, I I must be fishing different waters than you um, <laughs> Sex Dungeon <laughs> Kate um, what does that look like Yep what does that look like Um. So it's it's a it's a lightly weighted uh, fun gear head, um, almost like a pe- peanut envy with a spun deer head. I guess is okay. the way to say it. It's kind of got it almost looks like essentially a woolly bugger and then a woolly bugger tied onto a spun weighted deer head. Gotcha. And I've found that it's really versatile. I've caught a lot of different species on it um, here in Wisconsin. And yeah, it's just that if I had to choose one fly, it was, yeah, it was Kelly Gallup sex dungeon. What color? (laughs) All right. So I would say that I'd have to tie my own and tie it in orange. Mm. (laughs) So you're probably, that'd probably work on what, uh, uh, I'm thinking muskies, bass, trout. Yeah. It works really well in trout, really well with bass. Um, I've caught Northern on it. Um, yeah. And it's just been one of those patterns that I seem to be able to take to any waterway and find success with it. Are you working that on a sinking line or a floating line? Um, I'm working on a floating line and then I will manipulate it after that by using floating or sinking leaders. So if like, let's say I'm fishing bass and I want to fish the top water. I can have the same line on my rod, um, my Mondo 8 weight, and I can fish the top water. And then if they're not going on the top water, I can switch depths really easily by using like a fast sink uh, leader. It kind of has that same effect of just changing depths. And I've really found the streamer game super interesting because it's just like, there's a million things you can change before you change your fly. Mm. You know, it's like you can change your retrieval rate, you know, your retrieval speed. Then you can change what water column that you're working in by adding weight or taking weight off. And, and then 
it's time to change your fly. Whereas I, I find that really fascinating that there's so much that you can manipulate as an angler prior to giving up on a, on a particular pattern. If you could take one piece of water from this big journey you've been on the past few years, where would you go? I would have to say uh, the upper upper Provo River um, in Utah. It's uh, yeah, pretty pretty untouched and yeah, really tricky fishing, and you can hike a lot of miles and really get out in nature. So you seem like a guy sorry. that really enjoys the technical technical part of fishing. Yeah, you know, I, I like the challenge. Um, it, whether it was deciding for a while to get into Euronymphing, just to learn how to do that, um, or was, you know, I kind of put the goal to myself in Costa Rica that I wanted to land uh, at least 150-pound tarpon on my own fly, went out and succeeded with that, or... I was just as chuffed with myself for going to the Driftless and saying, I'm only going to cast a glass three weight and only fish dry flies, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it is the middle of summer. That's a big challenge and caught three fish over two days. And I'm thrilled about it because I'd put the challenge to myself to, um, fish the way that I want to fish a waterway. How many 10 car rods do you have? <laughs> just one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> just for some reason, I thought, you know, if you want a challenge. Um, yeah, I I haven't really used it much. Um, I probably should have used it more. It seems like it, there's some fun to it and a challenge in itself. So maybe you've just inspired me to, to break out the 10 car. And, uh, I don't know why you go. just don't get a little bit of string and maybe some wood from the backyard and start, uh, you know carving that down you ever think of doing that really really throw a curveball at you <laughs> well i think my next challenge is uh there's a, a vintage it's actually my great great uncle's fly rod it's an 11 foot seven weight and um yeah i want to put want to put a trout on that so that's cool i've uh, never never really cast it and what it's in the process of being rebuilt at the moment so yeah we're talking with Joseph Davies today. Um, I, it's hard for me to say where you're from, but I'm going to say Wisconsin. Uh, been all over North America, basically. Um, fly fishing his way around. And uh, this, do you have any crazy fishing stories? Yeah, um, I, I've got a ton of them. You know, whether it was generally, it was meeting up with some wild people on Instagram. Whether, <laughs> to be honest, and just going aimlessly in somebody else's car to their river totally alone with them like that was pretty wild but for me the one story that sticks out is um yeah landing 160 pound tarpon on a fly that i had tied literally in the last two hours of sunlight that we had on my last day on the boat in uh manzanillo at tarpenville um and we leadered the thing 11 times. I mean, just absolutely couldn't put hands on it, but just gave me a fight of my life. I mean, almost fooled me. I probably had 50 feet of backing left before I was done. And, um, yeah, ended up 
he made a lucky turn towards Panama and he started pulling the boat and yeah, we were able to safely fight him and, and landed him. So that to me was about kind of this culmination of why I spent so much time down in Costa Rica and why I tried to be a sponge and learn as much as I possibly could. Yeah. Like again, got to come full circle and do it on a fly that stayed up late night tying. Um, yeah. It couldn't have been more gratifying than anything I've ever done. Well, it's about as good as it gets, but I got, I got to tell you, you got me hung up on that. Okay. You're, you're going fishing with somebody you've never met. You met them online. You're going, God knows where you're going. You're going to their, you're kind of at their mercy. That would be a bit odd. It is a bit odd, but it, you, you form these kind of superficial relationships of, liking somebody's material and going, oh, you seem a similarly like-minded person to me. And um, you might communicate a bit back and forth on DM. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, man, would love to have you come and fish with me. Um, let's make it happen. And if you're ever in this area, give me a call. Well, as it turned out for the months of February, March, and part of April, I, yeah, I was in their area. So I took him up on that and yeah, I got to meet a lot of new friends and got to fish some spots I would have never known about or even had probably the confidence to try to tackle. When you look at all your fly fishing, fly tying experiences, if you had to kind of peg kind of one or two people that taught you the most, um, who would you, who would you look to? Yeah, I think without a doubt, Taylor Barlow, he's been a great friend and a great mentor um, in getting me involved into the fly fishing sphere. And then Peter Stitcher from Ascent Fly Fishing um, has really been a huge mentor to me as well. Um, just the way that he does business. Uh, he's so ethical and, yeah, and again, really wants to see this shift in the scope and paradigm that fly fishing kind of sits under now. Well, I think guys like you in the industry and companies like you're just talking about, that's that's going to happen. That's, that's good I stuff. I certainly hope so. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way to do that is check me out on Instagram. My uh, handle is Tilted 3.0, so T-I-L-T-E-D 3.0, um, and just direct message me um, because God knows that I'm going to drop my phone in the water and you know, probably not be able to access emails, but... Honestly, the, the most consistent way to get a hold of me would be to check me out on Instagram. Well, I can tell firsthand you're a guy that's in and out of cell service a lot. <laughs> yeah, I uh, have been a bit of a recluse this summer, going, uh, going, going pretty, exploring as much as I can, which doesn't always put you into the best cell coverage. I'm really curious, <laughs> Tilted 3.0, what does that mean? Um, so tilt was a, a theory of spinning and twisting um, in in uh, aerial skiing, and um, 3.0 was like a perfect landing score. So to me, you put like the two things together, it's like I, I don't know. So you perfection. You were an aerial guy. 
I was, yes. Oh, man. So you don't mind a little white water here and there? That's correct, yeah. Not, not, not too scared. Really appreciate your time. That's Joseph Davies, ambassador from Mundo Fly Fishing and Ascent Fly Fishing. Any other companies you want to plug you're pushing these days? Yeah, absolutely. I think Yakota Fly Fishing, they're doing really great things out of Colorado. Um, Spawn Fly Fish Heads, um, Rain Sunglasses. I think they make some of the... I I get more questions on my Instagram about Rain Sunglasses. Um, And yeah, and Trestle. Um, They make what is the top of the line um, car top carrier for rods thanks a lot for your time man you have a great day and if there's if you're ever up this way get a hold of me on instagram direct message me and we'll we'll definitely chase some fish ah i'd absolutely love to bc's on my bucket list all right buds thanks all right thanks so much have a great night thanks for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast your feedback matters let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.